If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Taming the Wild and Your Dog. Today is Hair the Dog. But before we get started, I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving and made it safe and sound back to their home. But I guess then again, if you didn't, then I'm not talking to you. They're not watching. (laughs) Yeah, I know. There's some crazy weather. There was really crazy, especially up in your neck of the woods. Uh, Joining me today, I have Cure as usual in the studio. But today, we also have Ashley. And Hi. Ashley is one of our trainers here at Taming the Wild, and I invited her here mm-hmm. because she is a from Wisconsin, so she's going to she's going to represent. Got it. And then she also has a big, hairy dog named Charlie, <laughs> a Newfoundland Newfoundland Saint Bernard mix. She just turned three. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so you know, up there in Wisconsin, they have a lot of shaggy things. Oh God. They have shaggy Mm -hmm. cows, they have shaggy dogs, and they have (laughs) shaggy shaggy cheese (laughs) and shaggy people. So I thought it'd be wonderful to have Ashley join us today when we're talking about grooming. Okay, now I'm sure a lot of you out there are going, okay, well, you're just going to talk about grooming. I'm going to go ahead and check out. Don't, because I'm telling you, uh, Kira and I had the wonderful opportunity to sit down with a master groomer. I mean, she is an absolute master, and her name is Manessa Donovan. So, again, hey, Manessa, really thank you for sharing your time with us. But, man, she certainly, I got schooled a little bit. We learned so much. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, every week that goes by, the more and more research we do, it, it is profoundly uh, interesting to learn how much you don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll admit it. I don't have a problem doing it. You know me. So anyway, it's going to be a fun day here talking about grooming. Now, before we get started with that, I want to go over a few grooming myths because there are some out there and we just picked out the top six. So we'll, but we'll count it down from one, not from six down to one. Number one grooming myth, I think of all time. Nail quicks grow evenly. I wish that were the case. I yeah. cannot tell you how many times someone goes, I didn't mean to quick the dog. I cut them all the same length. Well, that's why I always recommend uh, don't use those trimmers that have the little uh, guard on the back that tells you basically a spacer, the length in which you should be applying the nail trimmers to the nail itself. Because the good old nature did not make all nails the same length and the quick for sure, the same length. And besides that, if you're trimming a dog's nails that have black nails, good luck even trying to see where the quick is. So guys, that's myth number one. Nail quicks do not grow evenly. And they make um, those grinders that help with that a lot though too. So you're not actually just cutting the nails, you just kind of grind them down. So that helps a lot with my lab. Oh, the, who has really well, long those are called trimmels or the trimmels, 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 the yeah. grinders, yep. Yeah, those are good. Although, did it take a little bit to get your dog used to those? Yeah, you kind of have to condition to the buzzing noise and then the feeling of it. Um, But once you kind of get it done, it's so nice. Yeah, it just takes a little bit of getting used to. And if you Mm -hmm. don't know what we're talking about, the Dremels, they originally started out as a little hand tool for just doing jewelry work, sanding down jewelry, Mm -hmm. making it smooth and 
drill, you know, in, in other words, you're just really trying to take out the rough edges of anything. And then they converted those into a tool that you can use to slowly file down the nail versus trimming the nail and then getting into the quick. And another bad thing, when you get into that quick, good luck stopping the bleeding. It's <laughs> yeah. really difficult to and do so. Track blood all over your house. Yep, and in the back of the car and everything. And then all of a sudden, the customers run the back in screaming their head off uh, because the dog just tracked blood in the back of their $70,000 brand new SUV. Uh, myth number two, hypoallergenic dogs are hypoallergenic. So, so many people get dogs all the time thinking, oh, I'm going to get this doodle because I have allergies and this doodle will, I've heard, won't activate or trigger my allergies. But experts at the Henry Ford Hospital Department of Public Health and Sciences concluded that this was a myth. They, quote unquote, we found no scientific basis to claim hypoallergenic dogs have less allergen, says Christine Cole Johnson, senior authority of the study. In fact, they say it may actually trigger allergies even more profoundly. Myth number three, shaving your dog will make them feel cooler. No, sir. No, ma'am. That one I did know. That one I didn't have yeah, to be taught. Yeah, I think taught. I that one too. You bet. That fur that insulates them in the wintertime does the exact same thing in the summertime. And besides that, as you'll learn here just a little bit further along in the episode, that there's different types of hair on your dog. There's guard fur, there's insulating fur, so on and so forth. And hey, it, it got put there for a reason. Uh, so nature, again, nature's much, much, much smarter than most humans. Just go with her, trust what she does, and, and you'll be fine. But that is a myth that everyone thinks they have to shave their dog. And then when you find out even more so in the episode, it can change your dog's appearance forever. But we'll get into that. Some dog breeds don't shed. <laughs> That's always funny. I always did kind of laugh at that one. And, you know, even when my, I was going, really? Really? This was years ago. Going, really? They don't shed? Then the other part of my brain, just from taking all the science classes, is going, Brian, uh, all hair sheds. It, whether you like it or not, it sheds. And the older you get, the more it sheds. And, and you don't have any more hair <laughs> to go with. <laughs> so, hey, guys, I hate to, hate to break the news to you, but all dog breeds do indeed shed. And I'm here to tell you, me personally, I will go with Takani. He's our Siberian Husky. I will go with his shedding all day, every day over Captain, our cattle dog's shedding, which is much shorter fur. His fur has hooks on it, grappling hooks. And when it comes off, it attaches itself to something and you're not getting it out of there. Well, in Takani's fur, he sheds in dust bunnies. So you just pick it up. It's not like all over the house. Yeah, big clumps. Uh, I remember the guy who would detail our car. He said, Brian, if you allow me to put this plastic down over your carpet in the back area, I'll charge you $200 less. So I'll give you just an idea of how bad it is to vacuum the hair out the back of my Jeep. Uh, it's just really bad. Um, another myth, number five, people shampoo is just as good as pet shampoo. Uh, no. That's a myth. Human skin is more acidic. Therefore, human shampoo may strip oils and dry the top layers of the dog's skin, thereby compromising the dog's uh, natural barrier against infection. Now, I'm here to tell you, we spent Thanksgiving weekend with Kira's family and Captain rolled in something. I mean, there was horrible. Yeah, there are degrees of decomposition. <laughs> yeah, there were simply two degrees of stink. And 
I'm going to admit, I don't care if your fur dries out. I don't care how much oil you lose. I don't care what infection you get at this moment because I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah, I ran inside the house and got a big old towel soaked in and put all sorts of good old dial soap on it. And I, I got to scrub it. Captain, you know, his skin may be a little drier, bless his heart, but boy, he sure does smell a whole lot better. <laughs> so I think it, on occasion you can get it done. And, and I had to get it done with him because I still, I could not even find in that yard what the heck it was that he rolled in. But I'm telling you what, if you could have bottled it up and turned it into aerosol, pepper spray would be in the bottom of the food chain at that point there. You, you could just sell it. All right. And then finally, myth number six. You can bathe your dog too frequently. No, you can't. I thought you could. I always thought Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I thought so too until we talked to Manessa and she pointed out that, yes, if you're using the good old human or people shampoo versus dog shampoo, dog shampoo has been formulated for their skin type, for their hair type not human hair type, which we have. So we, we sweat through our pores. They sweat through their pads. Uh, it's different. We just have a lot more acid on our skin than they do. So if you use proper dog shampoo that's formulated just for dogs, then you really can't overbathe them as we found out. And I, I believe that for, I don't know how many years. Yeah, me too. Um, so anyway, so now we're going to move along. Now that we're past all those myths, Let's get into what Manissa really wanted to share with us. And, and we came up and basically we interviewed her and we wrote down, I still remember doing this, Kira, all the questions that we had personally, because we do have dogs that have to be groomed. We do. We have two Morkies, we have the Siberian Husky, even Captain needs a bath every now and then, as you just heard, uh, nail trim, you name it. Uh, and then teeth clean. That's a whole different story. We'll probably get Dr. Kelsey in here to talk about that uh, on an upcoming episode. But when it comes to grooming, all dogs need to be groomed at some point. They need some form of grooming if they're going to live in the human realm. Uh, again, if they just live out in the wild, then nature will do their her own type of grooming, which is rolling in dirt, uh, rolling up against pebbles, wading into creeks, and so on and so forth. But we really wanted to find out the answers to questions that we always wondered about. And also those have been presented to us by our clients for years and years. And man, we finally got that opportunity. And that was such a wonderful uh, interview. And the very first question that we asked was, why is grooming so important? I mean, I, you know, again, you think that's obvious, but, you know, of course, I just want to go deep in that thing. And what did we find out from that, Kara? Well, I thought it was really interesting. We all know why grooming is important as far as maintaining a healthy coat and things like that. But Manessa mentioned how the groomer can assess the overall health of your dog during a groom. You know, she's feeling all these different parts of your dog. She can tell if there's a new knot or something like that. And I never really thought about that. I never thought about the groomer being the first person to recognize if there might be an issue with your dog's health. And that's usually the first thing they do too, is the the first time the dog comes in, it's before they even groom the dog, take them back, it's their health checking. Mm -hmm. They're feeling the paws, the ears, the teeth, making sure there's no lumps that anybody's missed. There's no tenderness. Yeah. Um, So the first thing they do is that health check. Yeah, that's I, and I can tell that from experience. I spent a couple of years in a grooming room. Uh, they were not the finest years of my life. I learned many things very quickly. I learned that cats don't have skin. They have tissue paper. Uh, after my veterinary, I owned a vet hospital at the same time, and we had to sew up the poor first cat I ever shaved. 
uh, got 11 stitches before I went home. Needless to say, that groom was on me. <laughs> I didn't have the nerve to charge him for it. But you learn a lot of things standing there in that grooming room. And that is one of those, uh, for sure, Ashley, is not only are you checking the dog to make sure you don't run a like a seven blade over a fatty tumor. Right. That you could cut skin into tag. skin tags, mm-hmm. warts, you name it. Mm-hmm. Already, uh, maybe there's a, a lesion on the dog. Maybe there are scratches on the dog, puncture wounds on the dog. But there's also, you want to find out, how do you tolerate this? Right. Do you tolerate this well? If, you, if I touch you here, am I going to be bitten? Uh, how do you tolerate my handling of you? And so many dogs don't do very well be, with being handled by strangers. So that's always going to be one of the first things. So that's always a good plus. You send your dog to a groomer, and I guarantee you, they will find things on your dog that you will not find. And Charlie's got Charlie's got a ticklish <laughs> back feet. So that's always one thing that if if they're giving her a nail trim, she kicks because her her feet are ticklish. So that's like the one thing I watch those feet because she's going to kick <laughs> that you. That sounds like me. <laughs> When I tickle you, you kick your feet and everything. Yeah, it does sound like it. You know, and I, I guarantee when Charlie goes in to be groomed, uh, some of that skin is the first time it ever sees daylight. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's just that so is much. just thick fur. So we definitely recommend after talking to Vanessa that, you, that your dog is groomed. Even if it's a short-haired dog, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It needs to go see a groomer. And then how do you go about finding one, though? That's another thing other than just Google uh, and ask Siri, closest groomer nearest to me. And by the way, tried that out sometime. I did that and I did. I forgot to add the word dog. Come on, Siri, don't you know who I am and, and what kind of groomer I would ask for? And of course, I didn't get dog groomer. I got a whole bunch of other stuff. But anyway, outside of uh, just Googling dog groomer, how do you go about finding one? And she said that one of the best ways is simply by word of mouth. Especially like the veterinarian. Ask the veterinarian mm-hmm. who they would recommend. Yeah. And, when you, and then she says, and when you do find a good groomer, stick with them. And again, that goes back to the first thing that we talked yeah. about. They know. They know your dog. After they've groomed it a couple of times, they know. And they'll be the first to report back to you and go, Kira, were you aware that Poe has this little bump underneath her left arm, left leg there? Um, they will find these things and they get to know your dog. And they can also pick up on things. Again, the best place to hide something is right at the end of your nose. So therefore, when you see your dog every single day, you're, you're rubbing your dog and you're interacting with your dog. They can even pick up on minute behavioral changes. Mm-hmm. It's really remarkable uh, to know that. Uh, and when you go looking for this groomer, you find one, whether it be word of mouth, whether it be a veterinarian, or whether you just Google it, whatever you do, and you, and you arrive at this grooming shop, first of all, should you select a groomer that is licensed? Uh, while grooming does not require a license, it's usually best to go with a groomer who is licensed or has some sort of grooming certification. Some of the certifying organizations are the National Dog Grooming Association of America, International Society for Canine Cosmetology, and International Professional Groomers. And Manessa said, yeah, absolutely, of course, because if anything, it proves one thing. They did go through, of course, there were standards that they had to meet in both knowledge and skills. So, again, it's not required. But if you're a little bit on the fence about taking your dog to a groomer, you're worried about your dog being groomed, then that piece of paper at least 
at a minimum says that they've had some sort of training and some sort of education. I mean, especially when you have dogs that have specific uh, cut, like uh, haircuts that they need, like poodles, they have very specific grooming needs. So you want somebody that's been trained in those specific breeds too. Um, so you're going to, you're going to find a lot more of those with um, organizations who have actually certified the groomers and trained the groomers on those specific dogs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm here to tell you just from a personal standpoint that uh, again, I've always been a big believer of both conceptual knowledge and experiential knowledge. Now I had zero conceptual knowledge when I had to take over grooming for a former business that I owned. And I just dove into it. There was a big manual and it showed pictures. And I figured, well, if I've got a picture, then I can figure out how to make the dog look like the picture. And <laughs> that doesn't quite always work. Uh, I might as well not have had a grooming shop. I probably gave away 200 grooms before it finally started to tick. I was finally able to start actually doing some pretty decent cuts. And next thing you know, I was they asked for me. I go, that's so sweet. I'm the only groomer here, <laughs> but I'm one of one. I'm doing great. Ego boost. <laughs> yeah. And, but anyway, I wasn't about ready to hang up my training spurs uh, to be a groomer. So God bless all you groomers that are out there. Uh, I, that wasn't for me. I was simply filling the gap until my other groomer could come back after having her, her, her baby. I couldn't do it. I've been asked, I was asked multiple times to be a groomer and I'm like, I can't handle the pressure. I yeah. can't do it. Well, you know, it, even on that little topic, just kind of go off the trail just for a second here. There's the, there are books mm -hmm. and they say, this is the way this particular Airedale should look when you mm -hmm. cut it. Everyone, every dog owner in the world has their own, their <laughs> own perception of what that should be. They have a visual in their head. And in their head, they're visualizing, I'm going to send my dog to the groomer and it's going it's to come perfect. out looking like this. And even trying to communicate that to the groomer. A lot of times people drop off and go, oh, same as last time. <laughs> well, this is your first time here. <laughs> and I've had like 18 dogs today. Like, Yes. And, it's, and then, of course, getting the communication from the front desk back mm -hmm. to the grooming room and so on and so forth. So it can be difficult. It is a pressure-filled job it really is and by golly give your groomer a good tip if they do well mm -hmm. they, they deserve it um what should you look for if you go into a grooming shop uh first of all look do look uh I, there's no chance i'm taking my dog to be groomed if i can't look inside the grooming shop mm -hmm. i highly advise that you do the same thing uh, there's a variety of equipment that is used in grooming there are tables that lift up electrically so the groomer doesn't have to you know, hoist the dog and by body lift the dog up onto the deadlift up into the table, grooming tubs and ramps, some without ramps. There's all sorts of equipment. So kind of ignore that part there. That's up to them. They're the pros. But what you do want to see, for example, is if you have a dog like Charlie, mm -hmm. I don't want to see a one and a half foot long table by one <laughs> foot wide. Or the tubs. Absolutely. That's mm -hmm. going to be an elephant on a thimble. That's mm -hmm. just not going to work. So then, of course, I would ask, how in, the, how in the world do you plan on grooming my dog if this is the only table that you have? But outside of that, she said things that you look for. Number one is cleanliness. Absolutely. You don't want dirty blades cutting on your dogs. Remember the skin. The skin is your big, big wrap of protection around your body. So now the dog gets nicked, and that does happen. It does happen in the course of a groom. Not every groom, but some dogs will get nicked. Well, at least nick me with what I have Something. on me, not what the other dog has on it. 
So make sure it is clean. Make sure the blades are clean. Make sure there's not a lot of traffic going in and out of the grooming room. You don't want to have a dog that's reactive to other dogs uh, up on a very small table and all of a sudden they're walking other dogs through that room. You want to make sure it's partitioned off. It's got its own little shop for safety. You also want to make sure your dog can't escape from the grooming room. Some will certainly try. And next thing you know, you don't want them running down aisle three. And then all of a sudden out the door to the first open car door that's available. And there goes your dog off with them. Uh, so make sure you, you look for all these things. Cleanliness, safety, make sure they have the equipment to handle your dog. Make sure dogs are not being walked through that room. It's, same with human traffic. Not a lot of human traffic in there. Make sure that the cages that they're going to put your dog in after it's been groomed allow for proper ventilation. Heaters, uh, I don't like heaters. I don't care for any sort of heat drying. Heat drying with an animal that already has a temperature of 101.5 to 103.1 can be a fatality within 20 to 30 minutes. So I would ask that question as well. You see all these dryers laying around say, do any of those produce heat? Because I do not want any heat on my dog. Uh, a lot of times these little cages can heat up like an oven, especially the stainless steel ones in no time at all. So these are things to, to look for when you go into a grooming shop. And then we went on down the list and of all the questions we asked on this. And the next one we came up with was, what is the best age to start grooming? And that, that was a good answer. It was a great answer because I hadn't thought of that either. She said, you want to start grooming before your dog actually needs it. So take your puppy in and just have them get a treat the first time. Take your puppy in again, just to have a brush out, something like that, so that it's an experience that's positive in the puppy's mind. Yeah, remember I've said so in, in many episodes in the past about anytime your dog is introduced to a novel environment, something new, the first things that they do is search out the rules for predictive prediction and uh, control. So taking your dog somewhere new is one thing right off the bat, a lot of stress response being activated. Now, all of a sudden, I'm being put on a very small table and dogs are naturally acrophobic. They're afraid of heights. And then I'm be, being made uh, to hold absolutely still while you have sharp scissors around my delicate little ears. It can be a very stressful event the first time your dog goes. Uh, you can make it less so by creating familiarity. Dogs thrive on the familiar. Be familiar with the groomer. Be familiar with the room. Uh, she actually advised taking the dog several times, you know, yeah. at, least, yeah. at a minimum once a week until they actually need to be groomed. And that is wonderful advice. I think what's cool too is a lot of grooming shops have uh, what they call puppy baths. So it's it's kind of like a standard grooming, but in a puppy version. So just getting them used to being on that table, getting their, their nails trimmed, um, getting a bath, being blow dried, being brushed. And it just gets them kind of a, a hint of what could is coming in the future, but just slowly so that they get used to it. Absolutely. You know, and some of these dryers are uh, what we call, they, they will fluff the hair out and they will, mm -hmm. they will get the water off the dog. They're nozzles. They are high velocity dryers. And typically once the dog is finished being bathed in the tub, then you run a towel through it. But then the very long hair dogs to optimize the drying time, you use this high speed nozzle applicator of air. And it will blow the water off the dog's fur onto the wall and everywhere else. <laughs> and but, you. <laughs> and you and everything. But at least by the time the dog comes out of the tub, the drying time is, is cut in half. And the vast majority of dogs are cut after they're clean. 
just like mm-hmm. with a lot of humans. You go to a salon and they will shampoo your hair do and condition it, and then you'll get your hair cut. Same thing with dogs. Well, that velocity dryer is loud, and scary. a lot of air comes out. and It can be mm-hmm. very scary to a dog. So, again, the more I'm exposed, Exposed to this, at least I kind of got a feel for what it is. It didn't hurt me last time, and I can control what's happening to me to a degree much better uh, to take your dog at first. And I thought that was really good advice to do that. And then, uh, of course, we covered in the myth: Can you overbathe your dog? So we asked her how frequently should a dog be groomed, and she said, "You can have your dog groomed as often as you like, as often as you like." But for optimal health. Most dogs should be groomed every four to eight weeks. Even if your dog does not require a haircut, it is a good idea to maintain consistent grooming to the ad, to address nails and ears. Uh, wow, ears, floppy ears. Those are nothing, they are bacteria traps. That's, I cannot tell you how many dogs with floppy ears, especially Cocker Spaniels. Mm. Oh my gosh, they would come into the grooming shop and you reach into that ear to lift it up so you can shave it and wow there's many times when you're dipping your fingers pretty much like petroleum jelly oh that's sad. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is sad and 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 here's what's even sad the owners had no clue yeah. they had no clue so again these floppy ears they will trap air they uh, moisture and bacteria will start to build you know they can uh, develop a, a condition which they have mites in their ears Again, another reason why to take your dog to a groomer. You know, and that, that could almost be a myth there. So many people think that the dogs with the pointed ears, those are the ears that suffer the most. They are the ones that mm-hmm. become dirtiest because they're kind of like a baton catching a lot of things, uh, big old cups up there catching everything, but they don't. They've got airflow. They have airflow. Mm-hmm. And airflow is everything. Moisture mm-hmm. is the harbor of all sorts of bad things, bacteria, you name it. So if you have a floppy-eared dog, again, I highly recommend it, and nails grow quickly. You can trim a dog's nails and you don't hear anything on your floor. And a week later, click, 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 (laughs) click, click, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I just took my dog to the groomer last week. Nails, they grow very quickly. Mm -hmm. And if your groomer's doing a good job on the nails, keep that up. Because once you quick a few nails, you let that genie out of the bottle, Oh my gosh, it is so difficult. And I don't, I don't blame the dog. Who wants to have her nails quick like that? Yeah, that's got to hurt. Yeah. Makes you feel bad too. Oh, yeah. It's like, I know I just hurt you, but I just hurt myself because I feel so bad. Yes. Yeah. And then again, you're sitting there for the next half hour trying to stop the bleeding. Yeah. And they're just, they just, they do make things. Um, we had them in our bed hospital and sometimes you just have to apply, but it basically cauterizes the, the end of that nail. That little styptic, is that what it is? Yep. Styptic powder? It, it looks yeah. like a long match. Yeah. And you rub that on the end and it will cauterize it and there'll be no more bleeding. You can guarantee it. I heard that and, baking powder works too. Is it baking powder? Mm, yeah, it crusts on the outside. Oh, yeah. But here's what happens. The dog gets excited when it sees its owner. And, and it's gone. And it's gone. Yep. And now it's all over the owner, jumping on the owner in the back of the car. So if you've got a really bad bleeding nail and some of them can just bleed mm-hmm. and bleed and bleed, then a lot of groomers will be armed with those same sticks that we had at our vet mm-hmm. hospital. And by the way, stupid Brian, one day uh, I cut myself and I was bleeding like no tomorrow. And I was not going to be able to go to the hospital and have that checked out anytime soon. So I just reached in the jar, pulled out one of those good old 
sticks there that we use for quicking <laughs> oh, nails. Bad idea. Applied that to that cut. Did All it right. work? Now, I'm just going to give some, if you're listening to this or you're watching this, let me give you a little bit of advice right now. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Never, ever do that. I, yeah. And then after that, there was no chance. I, I, I even told the owners, I'll pay to have the interior of your car clean. I will pay to have your carpet clean. There's no chance I'm applying that to the end of a dog's nail because I got to feel exactly what that felt like. And that was bad. It Oof. burned and burned and burned and it went and quit burning. You could blow on it. You could stick it in the water. It did not matter. It had its own heat source, <laughs> kind of like magnesium. You, you couldn't put it out. You could put a fire extinguisher on it. Trust me, I was trying everything. I didn't care. Here, fire that thing off. Here, I'll hold my hand up here. Just fire off that fire extinguisher. Oh, no. It still burned. I probably did more damage to the, the rest of my hand trying to put that little thing out. It didn't go away for days. It, yeah, so I don't recommend those, but again, sometimes they, they are used. All right, we're just going to jump up ahead here. What is the best way to help an anxious dog? Believe it or not, there are a lot of dogs that are very fearful. And you take them to a grooming shop and they're even more fearful. And that can happen. We already talked about how to mitigate that to a degree just through familiarity. But again, and Melissa kept saying that the number one tool, consistency, consistency, consistency. Bring your dog to the same grooming shop and use the same groomer. And that that's a little message there. How many times, you know, I'm just going to tell you right now, even Vanessa will admit she's a master groomer, been grooming, good Lord, for so long. It, it's amazing. And she'll admit, trying to replicate the same cut every time, good luck. Dogs don't hold statues still. They wiggle, they squirm, they jump up and down. You're trying to hold them. Uh, blades are not always the same uh, intensity uh, as far as sharpening goes. They're not the same level of being sharp. Tools don't always work the same as they used to work. And therefore, if your dog comes home from a groomer that it has received several good cuts in prior, and suddenly this cut's just not as good, don't jump ship. Do not jump ship. And even if they raise their price a little bit, you need to be looking at this whole grooming thing from your dog's eyes. They're the ones going, not you. Yeah, you drop them off, but then you leave. They're the ones that are having to go through this experience. I cannot tell you, especially if you have an anxious dog, a dog that's a, definitely a wee bit fearful. You find a groomer, if they even do half a good job, good enough. Good enough. You know, guys, pick battles big enough to matter, small enough to win. And also keep it from your dog's perspective, not yours. Go to that same groomer. Over and over. You know, she said trying to go to the groomer just for a, you know, try even going just for a treat. Like you yeah, even, just walk like in, both you guys even said. Yep. Yeah, take them, give them a treat. Uh, anything that you can do, just take them in for a quick, simple brush out. Uh, definitely do that. Now, and then finally, the last thing we're going to go over here is tools. You know, again, so many people are so, they don't know about which tools to use when you're brushing your dog. Believe it or not, the same brush that you use on your hair, you should not be using on your dog. She actually mentioned that. So I'm guessing there's a reason for it. Yep. People must be trying to do that. Yeah. And also, I would highly recommend, too, that you don't use a Furminator in your hair. Yeah. Uh, if you use a Furminator in your hair, you won't, you won't do that again. <laughs> That's another one of those Brianisms. Like in that. Okay. Now, I did not do that. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm going to just throw that out there on the air. I did not use a Furminator in my hair. <laughs> 
But I do know of someone who did, and I'm not going to mention who they are. But uh, it they, wasn't me. It wasn't. <laughs> so I was thinking. <laughs> okay. It's like, Kira, what are you doing over there? No. No, I'm actually looking over at Joshua. He's still he's in the room here with us. He's just not on the show today, but uh, he uses it on his beard all the time. <laughs> And he's got these big gaps in his beard and everything. So, oh, yeah. See, I won't even That's use the Furminator on Charlie, true. though. I'm not a fan of the, the Furminator, especially on long do- long-haired dogs. Because um, I've actually, I found that it cuts the guard hairs. Um, so, I'd rather, I'd rather comb her with a comb or uh, a one-inch slicker brush. So, tell, mm. tell those that are listening, what mm. is the guard hair, actually? So, she's, so she's a, a, she has an outer coat where... It's waterproof, so it repels against it repels water, um, and then it also just makes it so that there's it's basically a barrier. Um, so when you when you brush your dog this with the with the furminator, or specifically when I brush her with the furminator, it's cutting that outer hair, which leads the the undercoat um, vulnerable to anything getting in there. Like you said, it's a it's a defense against infection. Um, so I mean, that, those guard hairs really just make it it waterproofs her coat first of all, but it also, it makes it harder for things to get into her, into her coat. Yeah, it's kind of like wearing mm-hmm. a raincoat on over right. our fleece. Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. therefore, so kind of think of that when you're brushing your dog, the underlying coat near the skin is going to be more like fleece, more like, uh, you know, that, that, that soft, soft type thick, of jacket yeah. that you would wear on a, on a not rainy day. And then you have other fur that is kind of like the outer shell. Mm-hmm. On that fleece lining, you should use a furminator. Now, a furminator is a mm-hmm. de-shedding tool. It removes that fur from the skin. A way that I used to explain, I don't, but it, it may it may sound funny, but it, it worked for humans to visualize it. The furminator was like taking a rake, and it's fall now mm-hmm. for a lot of places, and there's still leaves <laughs> on the ground, winter for some. And they will think of the furminator as a rake in which you rake the leaves up into the top of the tree. So the leaves leave the ground, but now they've gone back up to the top of the tree. That's what a furminator does. It removes those hairs right from the skin and pulls them up mm-hmm. through the other line layers of fur or hair. Then you come along after you do that with a brush. And for Australian shepherds, golden retriever type coats, you use what's called a slicker brush. Slicker brush works really well for that. And that's the one that has these tiny little pins. They are, are just completely coated in these silver little pins at the very end, they're bent. And that will now remove those leaves from the top of the tree. Uh, one thing that she definitely said, no matter what brush you use, never brush the same spot over five times or you could cause a brush burn. Wow. Uh, that was great information. That, I did not know that. That was great. <laughs> <to> Be, Connie. <laughs> uh, yeah, because when you get going and you're going, man, I'm getting it. I'm getting it, man. I am going to get brush all these little fur stuff out of here. Yeah. You just keep working it and working it and working it, going, I'm almost there. And of course, the dog is looking you're like, I'm dying. I'm dying. Please just stop it. You go away. I'll do anything. Yeah, and you're, I didn't know that. I didn't really yeah. know about the, the brush part. Even when I did grooming, I didn't know about that. So again, hence, she's the master. And we learned from that. Uh, they did say avoid using pen brushes that were designed for people and not dogs. Again, stay away from human tools. Use tools that were designed for dog fur, dog hair, not yours. Use shampoo designed for them, not yours. And you might even find as your dog gets older, it's it's 
coat matures that you're fine. You're getting a couple different tools that you're using. So if you're like me and you like to find everything, I have pretty much one of every single tool you can have. Um, her, her puppy coat was really, really thick, um, and soft and it just, I needed that slicker brush worked really well. But as she got older, mats started coming in cause her hair got longer. And, and, um, so now I find that the, the comb works really well. So don't, I wouldn't become a slave to one, one type of tool. I would try everything and find what works for your dog specifically. Absolutely. Especially as that fur changes throughout the year, mm-hmm. you're going to need different tools mm-hmm. to get the job done. All right, so that's really it about grooming. If you have any questions about grooming that we didn't answer for you, send them to us. Uh, we'll send them to Manessa, and once we get the answer back, we'll send them back to you because um, I've given up trying to answer these darn things because I was wrong on half the answers that I thought. Because Karen and I talked about the questions we were going to ask her, and we went over, and I'm telling her, well, this is the answer, this is the answer, this is the answer. So, of course, during the interview, Kira's looking over at me like, you idiot. Like, really? Brian, <laughs> you're wrong. Like, hey, you're wrong, dude. You're absolutely wrong here. This is, well, my husband said, and don't, don't tell her that. <laughs> she doesn't need to know that. So anyway, we will be glad to send them to the master and we will get them back to you. You have any questions, send them to Brian with a Y at TamingTheWild.com. Okay, normally we take a break at this time, but we're going to skip it today because we spent a lot of time on that grooming. And I want to get to some questions that were that we didn't get answered from last week. So we're just going to dive right in that, bypass the break. So if you need to take a break, go ahead and you can download the show later and listen to it. But those of you that are still hanging with us, let's get to answer a few questions. Okie doke. So we have a question about small spaces. She says, my dog hates small spaces like the bathroom, the car, the crate. Is there anything I can do to help him? I, okay, so this is a condition very similar to humans, claustrophobia type condition or confinement, frustration, you, you name it, confinement phobia. You'll hear it said in many different names. At the end of the day, it can be the same thing. Anytime you're trying to treat something like this, you have to, first of all, gauge what is the severity of it. It's one thing to be uncomfortable. People can be uncomfortable being in a tight space. But then there's a level called panic, absolute panic. Um, so, again, not knowing what level it is, uh, first of all, I always try to work on a healthy dose of prevention. Try not to ever get in that position. If you get a new dog, any of those of you listening uh, that are thinking about getting a new dog uh, in the future, Try to definitely do crate training. We had an episode on that that talked about crate training, how it's healthy for your dogs. Actually, it doesn't cause problems if it's done correctly. Get them used to it. Familiarity, once again, dogs thrive on it. Anything familiar allows for predictive information, allows for control, you name it. Uh, But if you already have a dog that's like that, again, depending upon the degree in which the dog is uncomfortable with the tight spaces. Number one, if you're going to leave your dog in one, Make sure it's safe. Make sure they can't do themselves any harm. Many of these crates and kennels that you can buy, especially the wire ones, the ones that we anthropomorphic humans say, that's what I would like to stay in because I have a 360-degree view, a lot of natural uh, air, light coming in, airflow, you name it. No, that's not what your dog wants to be in. They can harm themselves in those. I cannot tell you how many dogs over the years that came to visit our vet hospital that were absolutely injured to incredible degrees trying to get out of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, they bend those wires back and they say, you know, they're jabbing them, tearing their skin. 
So whatever you leave your dog in, make sure it's safe. You leave it in a room like a laundry room, make sure that's safe. They can chew wood, trust me. They can tear into sheetrock, make sure it's safe. Number two, if the dog is one of those type of dogs, they're going to do everything they can to escape the confines of that room. Because, But you have to leave them in that. Think about chemically managing their state at that point. And again, depending on the severity of it, you could use a little CBD, a little cannabidiol. Uh, if it's more severe, you probably have to move into something like uh, a benzodiazepine, or you could go to an antagonist type SSRI known as trazodone. That, that works as well because it has a little bit of a sedative type uh, effect on the dogs. What you want to do is simply tra- uh, trap them in their arousal zone. You know, three basic zones for this animal, a calm zone, arousal zone, and the panic reactive zone. You don't want to go up into that top tier. So they do make chemicals that will trap you. So the dog may, for example, be in that room and going, huh, about now I should be panicking. I should be not comfortable, but give me a second. I'm sure I'm working it up here. I'm going to try and panic in about 10 minutes, but just give me a second. They can't. They're chemically trapped to a state that they can't. And by golly, that's wonderful because it allows the dog to experience a different type of confinement. There was the panic one, and then there's the, okay, well, you know, I really don't like being in here, but at the end of the day, it's really not that bad. Chemicals, guys, I cannot tell you. So, again, I I don't know enough to, to give the full answer on this question, but if whoever wrote this question in to us, send me more information, age of the dog, severity. You know, on a scale of one to 10, one is 10, they're trying to tunnel out the, the room. It's one, a little bit of whining. And once I know that, I can tell you what to do. Gotcha. Okay, so here's an interesting question. My dog stares at me all the time, and it's a bit unnerving. Why does he do that, and how do I stop him? You know, Dave does that with me. He stares at me all the time, and I just thought it was because he just loved me so much, right? And he, yeah, yeah, sure, honey. You betcha. That's exactly what it is. Next question. Uh, No, yes, can it be unnerving? You bet it can. I was a police canine officer. I had a Belgian Malinois as my partner. Love that dude to death. I, I spent more time with him than anyone else in, in a three-year period. And in the middle of the night, it's dark, going down an old country road. And there he is standing right there with his paws up on the armrest of the Jeep, staring at my juggler bank. So I reach <laughs> up there with my other hand and turn his head. I said, why don't you just look out the window? Bad guy's out the window. It's not here where my neck is. And then he turned back and starts staring at my juggler bank, staring at me. And I turn that head away. He turned back and starts staring at my juggler bank again. So I get it. It can definitely be unnerving when a dog just stares at you. But in most cases, just relax. First of all, they don't have language. So if you didn't have language and the person you're trying to communicate to doesn't have language and they can't use smartphones and all that sort of stuff, you're going to stare at one another. You're going to try and pick up any sort of signal in which they're trying to send you to influence your behavior. So most dogs stare at us. Because they're trying to either, A, determine what are we, are we sending the signal to them? Other times, they are using that stare to influence our behavior. Case in point, if Dave stares at you long enough, what happens, Care, Tell the truth. 
You're on the air. I give him a petting because he deserves it. And there you have it. (laughs) And other dogs finally get fed. Oh, that's me. Oh, yeah. And other dogs Mm -hmm. do get that little belly rub. And remember, Mm -hmm. we had an episode in which they actually developed muscles in their upper eyelid that wolves don't have so that they can stare at you with wider, bigger (laughs) eyes. He has that for sure. For sure, he has that. So most dogs staring at you are simply looking for instruction from you. They're looking to be able to predict what are you trying to communicate to them in case you're trying to influence their behavior or it's the direct opposite. They are now trying to influence your behavior. If it really unnerves you that bad, teach an alternative alternative behavior. Go place. Go away. Yeah. Well, stare at me from a distance. Yeah, from a distance. As long as you're not like two feet ahead of me, go stare from the corner. You're fine. Yeah. When I finally got tired of Yager, my police dog staring (laughs) at me, there was a little uh, sliding door for the divider between the back seat and the front seat. I just pushed his head back (laughs) and shut that thing. And then I could relax (laughs) for a little bit. Uh, A lot of people think that if you stare back at your dog, it's a dominance thing. Don't do that. Again, guys, big battles, big enough to matter, small enough to win. A dog staring at me is not sizing me up to eat me, uh, especially if it's my dog. Now, if it's another dog, they may be staring at you going, oh, my God, who's this guy? What's he doing? Uh, What's he reaching for? Is he about to approach me? What? Yeah, they are staring at you because they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on on. Do animals stare at other animals in a predatory way? You bet. But again, this is your own dog. I hope it's not thinking your lunch. (laughs) If it is, we've got a lot of other problems other than staring. But for the most part, just relax or do like Mm -hmm. Ashley said. If you want to stare at me, you can stare at me from 20 feet away over there on your place, Scott. Stare all you want. It's not going to bother me at that point there. So Brooke wants to know, how do I stop counter surfing? Oh, counter surfing. That is, well, get a small dog that can't reach the counter. <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> Done. Like the, the rats, our two morkies don't have to worry about it. They can't reach the counter. It's like, nah, 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 nah. You can't reach the chocolate cake. Uh, but the other two dogs definitely can. So how do you, that is something that does on a serious note, does need to be trained uh, out of the dog. Do not get on the counters. Again, can I tell you how many times dogs came to our bed hospital? They had swallowed things that they should not have even had access to because they were laying on the counter. Everything from car keys to car, the, the, the fob that you use to unlock your car uh, to a knife one time, a steak knife right down the hatch. You'll be surprised what can go down. Not to mention candies and foods that they should not have access to, the pizza with the onions all over it. No way. So I don't play around when it comes to counter surfing. Here's a couple of things. No matter what equipment you use, this is the one thing that you must apply across the board. They cannot know that you had anything to do with the correction they received. So notice I used the word correction. This is not an all positive approach. This means, hey, you put your paws on my counter, it will hurt. Just so you know, it will hurt. And if you want to try some all positive approach, then you will suffer the consequences of your actions. And unfortunately, it's the dog that usually suffers more than you do. So biggest thing is if you catch your dog's paws on that counter, you step in the room, you go, no, bad dog. Okay, two of those. And here's what the dog learns. You know, the, it's not, the counter's not dangerous at all. It's just dangerous to have my paws on there when Kira walks in the room. So, of course, yeah, they're never on the counter when you're around. It's only when you leave the room, leave the house, whatever, they're all over that darn thing. So, therefore, make sure there's no association with you with anything that they feel because you want that correction that they're going to receive to be what we call natural pairing. 
in natural pairing. It would be like me running my fingers across a kitchen countertop myself, and I happened to slide it right over a stove in which something was just finished being cooked. And all of a sudden, yo, oh my gosh, I burned my hand. Now, I don't turn to Kira and say, why did you do that to me? <laughs> no, I'm looking at the stove. I'm looking at the counter. I'm trying to figure out what the heck was it that just got me? I'm not looking at Kira. But if you step in a room and go, bad dog, and I don't care what you use, a remote training call or long line, you name it, the dog will not associate what it received with the darn counter. So guys, don't do that. So of course, my favorite tool of all time to make this thing go away is a remote training caller. Today's technology, set up something, put a phone, we did it, set up, mm -hmm. we connected on FaceTime and made sure the phone was facing the cat litter box and facing our kitchen counters. And then when the dogs get on the counter, poke their nose in that litter box from afar, even in a car at the that's already pulled out of the driveway, driving down the road, you look on there, sure enough, here's a dog looking out the window, looking at the cat litter box, looking out the window, looking at the cat litter box. Going, they're okay, gone. They're gone. Here I go. And I'm telling you what, they poke their nose in there. Yeah, they don't make camera film speed. That was enough to catch one of our dogs disappearing out of that room. It was just a great flash, and he was gone. He never went in the cat litter box again. In fact, if he sees one, he'll give it a 10-foot berth. Got mission accomplished, baby. Got it done. So, again, I love a remote training caller for that. And if you can't use a remote training caller, they do make a device called a SCAT mat, S-C-A-T mat. And you can purchase them, of course. You know where to go, where everyone goes to purchase things. So, go online. You can buy a SCAT mat. They even come in different lengths, different shapes. If you've got a dog right now savaging your, your Christmas tree or even a cat doing it, they make ones that are semi-circular. You can mm -hmm. get a couple of them, put them around the bottom of your Christmas tree, game over. Dogs leave the Christmas tree alone. They're not yanking ornaments off. And you can also lay one on top of your kitchen counter. No cat, no dog, nothing gets on there anymore because when they jump up there, it's a little electrified mat that operates off a nine volt battery and has different settings, low, medium, and high. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't mess around. I go straight to high. Uh, nature has many one and dones, and this is going to be one of them because, again, why? Because I've had the, I don't know, I don't know if I should use the word privilege, but I had the experiential knowledge of watching dog owners say goodbye to their dog. Uh, or to send their dog in and we tell them there's no more dog for them. It didn't survive the surgery. So I don't play around with it. Yeah, you put your paws on my counter, it will hurt. It's pure and simple. It's not going to cause you an injury or anything, but it will hurt. And I guarantee you that will go away. So I would opt for either a scat mat or a remote training collar over a long line because the long line, again, is tethered to you and the long somebody has to pull on that long line and the dog will know. They will become very savvy to that in no time. So there you have it. There you have it. Okay. So this is probably the last question we'll have today. Yes. And we didn't get to one more. <laughs> All right. Is it possible to train my dog too much? Mm, yes. Quite possible. <laughs> quite possible. When the dog is smarter than you, you've trained it too much. Uh, no, is, on a serious note, we run into that all the time. You know, we here at Tame and Wild, we strive for perfection. And I am a perfectionist. I really am. To a, to, it can be a, at a fault at times. And one of those can be in training when you just go, okay, just one more rep. Mm -hmm. Just one more down. Give me one more down, buddy. Here we go. One more down. 
one more lesson today. Yeah, I'm going to get in that one more lesson. Now you only had two. Guys, you have to read your dog. Training is stressful. Mentally and physically. Amen. Mm -hmm. It is. And we can only handle so much of that. And when you get to this point of diminishing returns, that's exactly what it is. They start to go backwards. Again, I use the example of the rat that runs, a laboratory rat that runs on a wheel on its own. Its stress response is lowered, bottomed out. But then you make the rat run on the wheel. Stress response goes through the roof. Guys, training can be fun. And then it can become drudgery. And then it can be absolutely dreaded. And then it can become fearful. Yeah, yes, you can overtrain your dog. And I'm telling you, there's, I cannot tell you how many dogs in this world that have suffered from that and will continue to suffer from that, especially dogs that are going to be competitive dogs in which the stakes are high, baby. I remember I competed in shoots and even one point could be the difference between you being on that podium and off that podium. Uh, or a dog that is a, an explosive detection dog. Hey, oh my gosh, you think, man, you, there is not enough training you could receive. Yeah, there is. So yes, you can overtrain your dog. And we also, when, when we're dealing with like board and trains that we do here, we have ways to help get around that. So we give outlets to the dogs. Um, so it's not always every time you're out, you're training and you're working. Like you're also playing and you're hanging out and just getting to know us and relaxing, decompressing. Um, so it's really important to have those outlets mixed into the training as well. It, it has to be fun too. Yeah. yeah. It has to be fun. It does. And that's called an outlet for frustration. And once you, you, you become frustrated because you have all the stress that you're incurring, and it does happen, happens to us humans, happens to dogs, you have to give them an outlet. And if you give them outlets, then you can actually do more training sessions. You just got to offload some of the stress, get it off. Like, like us, you know, you went, a lot of people had four days off uh, last week. And I don't know about you, but I was ready to come back to work. <laughs> I was done. You know, I'm one of those people, we go to the beach or something, and day two, I'm going, all right then. So, any dogs being trained down here? Of course. I, that dog's pulling those owners along the beach here pretty hard. Maybe I'll just hop up there and go work on that dog a little bit. Yeah, once you offload, so if you offload, you can train more. But if you don't offload, you'll have to train less. Guys, look for outward signs of overdoing it. And out those, some of those outward signs would be your dog looking away from you instead of at you. Uh, the dog's kind of like his get up and go, got up and went. He seems more tired than usual. Look for what we call it an, an anxiety trigger. So you're telling your dog to sit and suddenly one of the paws comes up in the air. Typically, it's the right paw. Don't ask me why because I don't know why. No one knows why. But the paw comes up off the air and it resembles the trigger on a gun. And that could be right paw or left paw. When you see that, I'm here to tell you right now, that's a neon sign in the fog. Your dog is overstressed at that moment. Is anxious. Maybe it just doesn't comprehend what you need to do. Back off. Go get that outlet. Go give your dog some time off and bring it back. Okay, guys, next week, we are going to start a two-part series, a two-part, because again, I highly recommend that you don't get a puppy for your kids for Christmas, but some people are not going to listen to that, and they are going to give someone a dog for Christmas. So therefore, if you're going to go ahead and do it, then at least do it right. So next week, we're going to talk about breeders, breeders. Uh, what's a good breeder? How do you find a good breeder? How do you know it's a good breeder? How do you know it's a good pup that you're getting? We're going to talk about even going to the rescues and shelters. How do I know even what to look for if I go there? 
because uh, don't don't count on the workers to tell you the, what what they may not know. It may not be that they're dishonest. They just don't know. And then the next week, we're going to talk about transitioning into the home. So you got the new puppy, you got it from, or you adopted a dog from a rescue, and now you're bringing it home. What happens next? So guys, stay tuned for those next two weeks, uh, two-part episodes coming up. Other than that, you got anything else to add, Ashley? I'm good. It was great having you Thank on you. here. Thank you. Thank you. You're awesome. Thank I think uh, Joshua's job is uh, threatened here. <laughs> you did a really good job. All right, guys, have a great week. We're out of here. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.